You are listening in on LEAP. Today's episode focuses on toilet learning with our clinical director and occupational therapist, Micaiah Johnson, and senior occupational therapist, Tish Graff, co-creators of the Potty Protocol. Toilet learning. It's a big topic. <laughs> it's a big topic for a lot of big topic for a lot of parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and we say toilet learning instead of potty training. That's been something that I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you guys are passionate about? We are passionate about it because mm-hmm. it is a learning behavior. It's not something that kids, people come into the world kind of knowing what to do, unlike mm-hmm. walking, which is a developmental milestone that typically will happen whether you instruct somebody to walk or not. But with toilet learning, it takes some practice mm-hmm. and it uh, takes some intention. And if you don't learn how to go into the toilet, you probably won't go into the toilet, mm-hmm. which is well, what we're on a mission to help kids do. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. And there are like so many different, maybe not so many different, but many different ways that are being taught of ways to, to learn the skill. And one of the things that Tish and I try to really uh, capitalize on is the learning piece, not the training piece. Like we are trying to find uh, routines that we're supporting the child with, but we are um, teaching the developmental skills that are needed to learn the skill versus training the elements of um, a very multifaceted task. There are lots of pieces that uh, we found are needed to um, take on this skill from motor planning to comprehension to communication and all those things. So we're really trying to break down each one and support learning in each of these areas that can grow the overall skill. I, w- I mean, even I was at getting a haircut yesterday and the people were talking and they were like, my child is this age, I'm ready for it. And I think that's something that is so interesting. I think it's very common to be like at this exact age we start potty training or toilet training or toilet learning or whatever that looks like across the board and I know that's something that you guys aren't that you guys do not follow so maybe starting there of like okay what are the milestones what are the things that that parents can be looking for or um, start um, keeping an eye on in in those um, on the path and the readiness yeah that's actually kind of the story of why we started down the path because we work within um, a lot of, uh, I would say the population we work in primarily is kids with autism, Mm -hmm. but there's many different um, developmental differences that we're kind of supporting inside of our work of occupational therapy. And we were finding that there were many kids on our caseloads, five years old, six years old, seven years old, that had, um, from what we thought, Difference, uh, different skill and levels that they were able to take on the skill, yet they still were wearing a pull-up. And so it really kind of started how we tried to investigate and put on our detective hats of what do you need to be ready for taking on this skill? What, what areas of um, motor planning do you need to have? And so we created a whole evaluation of a readiness checklist. So we don't 
uh, take any child onto the protocol um, for what we're doing inside of Toilet Learning. We are saying yes to anyone who wants an evaluation and we go through our readiness skills of here are the 12, 11 different skill areas that we think support the process of learning and taking on this challenge and let's see um, where the child is inside of each of these different, mm -hmm. different goal mm -hmm. areas. And I think another thing that we tried to look at just when we first started were kids who were surprisingly toilet trained, if you will, mm -hmm. um, which kids that didn't appear like they would have the skills but still were able to use the toilet, and kids that we thought should and couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so we really tried to look at those two different areas to see what were the skills that the kids that were using the toilet had mm -hmm. that the other kids didn't. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, it was a long process. It was like over six months yeah. that we were like, okay, every single time that we took a kid to the bathroom, we were like, what are they doing? <laughs> Hold on. That was just using your posture. Like it was a, probably a six month adventure of really diving into what skills are needed for this task. Mm -hmm. Right. So in probably the typically developing world, you hear, you know, an interest in using the potty can stay dry overnight. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're... They notice that they um, might need a diaper change. So that means that they're noticing that they might have a soiled diaper or a wet diaper and then telling mom or dad or, you know, taking it off. But diapers and pull-ups are now designed to work against diaper rashes, and so they're pulling the diaper away from the skin. So that means that you have a quite uh, a, I don't know what the right word would be, intact sensory system, that you're getting a lot of tells from material that is saying, don't register this because we don't want a diaper, we don't want a diaper rash, so you're not going to feel this, that you're soiled or wet. So it's, it's quite a sensory experience, and pull-ups are kind of, taking away a lot of the sensory experience. So you have to work pretty hard to understand all of that. So one of the big readiness skills is the child is, is noticing that they're needing a change. Right, and mm -hmm. so from a sensory perspective, a lot of our kids just are under-responsive in that area to begin with. So mm -hmm. even if they were wet and the typical child or another child would recognize that they were wet, maybe this child isn't recognizing mm -hmm. it. But it doesn't mean that they can't be potty trained. Got it. Yeah. Also, like a, that's so interesting, that's not something that I hadn't, thought about is science modern day science of like pull-up technology working yeah. against like our sensory systems i think it's working against our sensory systems and really putting kids uh into toilet learning at a much later age because mm -hmm. they're marketed as underpants essentially and they're not right. underpants they're just diapers right that... creating more <laughs> comfort inside of a space that we're trying to say no 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 we don't like this right yet it can because as the child gets older, there are physiological things that happen. For instance, the bladder. If you don't learn how to kind of close off the bladder from right. peeing whenever it wants to, then over time, as the child gets older, that's just going to be a more difficult skill to kind of manage. And so with pull-ups, it makes it so much easier because there's the convenience of it being like an underpant. Parents feel like they're older when they're in a pull-up, mm -hmm. and um, it just has delayed toilet learning across the board, I think, for typically developing kids and for kids with developmental differences. Wow. Yeah, well, that's why we started saying we got to figure this out. We got to crack the code. And we're going to ditch the diapers. Ditch the diapers. <laughs> that's our first uh, recommendation when um, onside the readiness evaluation, we're, we're saying this child is ready. Then we're also saying 
it's time for us to walk into accidents and all of the accidents that we can take on because pull-ups and diapers are only at nighttime. So okay. we're, we're not really on the side of a gradual experience. We're on the side of today you're in pull-ups, tomorrow you're in underwear. And let's figure out what that means for this child and we're gonna learn so much by what mm -hmm. the child is telling us when they start having accidents, when mm -hmm. they start wearing underwear. Mm -hmm. um, that's when we really, that's our big learning curve for how the child will be able to take on um, this new skill is what happens when the diapers are gone. And we have found that kids are so different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, There's nothing typical about how kids no. toilet learn when you take off a diaper and put on underpants, you learn all sorts of things. So much. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Love is the playing field. <laughs> <laughs> also your couch. <laughs> well, so we, we do start with, um, so when we tailor make a protocol um, based on each individual child, we're looking at that child's strengths and, and uh, challenges, mm -hmm. but the starting point mostly is that we put them on a uh, schedule where mm -hmm. they're being taken to the bathroom every half hour. And that quickly changes rapidly within the first week when we start to see how much accidents they're having or not having. So uh, we had one little guy that uh, we found out he was urinating every 10 minutes. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, 30 minutes wouldn't cut it. So he was in the bathroom quite a lot when he wow. first started to learn how to use the toilet, where other kids you notice they're not peeing, you know, for an hour, hour and a half at a time. So that's how we're able to kind of manage that initial week or two to be more tailored to their body rhythm, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just one aspect of it. There are many other things that we're going to be looking at along the way. Wow. Every 30 minutes. Every 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a big commitment. It's a big commitment for families, certainly, and that's mm -hmm. one of the requirements that we have when we're talking to families is, you know, we can be ready, but we want to make sure that you're ready because accidents are going to happen, and it's messy, mm -hmm. and it's inconvenient, yeah. and it's time-consuming, and it's it's frustrating. Yeah. Um, so parents have to be kind of willing to be on board as well as best they can. We realize that life happens, and, you know, sometimes you just have to throw a diaper on to kind mm -hmm. of get through it. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but as best, you know, that's not that's not going to suit the child in the long run if they're, you know, if it's not consistent. So right. we really are looking for that commit and commitment and consistency. So um, throughout our environment, um, but certainly in the home environment as well. Wow. And as we've worked with kids, that's been a really big factor of our, um, I mean, I, this also feels like the wrong word, but maybe timeline of success. Mm -hmm. um, it, it really has been very supportive when we're seeing similar actions happen, similar routine, um, similar timeline at home and school and outside places. It's been a really um, asset on our end mm -hmm. to um, have generalization across the board within environments and I think supports more understanding for the child of well, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. um, where if at school we're doing one thing, at home we're doing this thing, at grandma's we do this thing, that just adds confusion mm -hmm. yeah and so it's not just a matter of timing we really look even as something as simple as the equipment that we use so if it's a potty seat or something on the floor so whatever the parents want to have we try to replicate that as best we can within our environment so there is that consistency obviously the stall is going to be different than a home bathroom but the equipment that the child is going to be using mm -hmm. uh, down to the step stool mm -hmm. we try to replicate as best we can for that consistency wow 
That's great. That's why we have so many potty seats to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you walk in the loop, you're going to see like seven seats all over the bathroom. That's because... Everybody learns differently. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely heard that. And I know, like, personal experiences, my nieces, one of them, like, hated the tiny potty. One of them liked the tiny potty. Yeah. So, like, they have... The- they have their own preferences. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And some of it, you know, the preference is based on their um, their body type as well. So if they have short little legs and they can't touch you know, the floor or they can't touch the, the footstool on the potty seat, we're going to really be working to help them mm-hmm. do that because posture is a big part of their success. Mm-hmm. And kids innately know what feels comfortable and good. Like humans know that. And so we're trying to support success inside of... Um, making a, a, a child's body feel like they're at the best place to be able to take on this new skill. So having um, that set up has been important. What launched you into becoming passionate about the potty? <laughs> passionate about the potty. We are passionate <laughs> about the potty. We definitely are. I do think that it was a need from families mm-hmm. who have children with developmental differences that were struggling to find success mm-hmm. in the bathroom. And um, I think that we were confused about mm-hmm. what to do. It was a new area for us, mm-hmm. and we just decided that we were going to figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we really did look at typically developing kids read and um, read and read about um, what people recommend kind of the potty experts out there for typically developing kids and set up phone calls with anyone who take our call yes. <laughs> had calls with um, philosophies that we were like we don't like this but it's working so how do we have a phone call colleague to colleague and mm-hmm. understand more of what they're doing mm-hmm. had a, like probably two of those phone calls where I was like in my heart and soul saying I don't like what you're doing, but somehow it's working. Tell us more about your process. Um, Yeah, so I think that that's really what... Because there's a lot of potty methodologies. Yeah, there's potty boot camps. There are... um, Do naked from the waist down, Mm -hmm. right off the bat. There are um, use M&Ms and treats and have a reward system. Those are probably the top three, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. guess, and often potty boot camp is also used inside of um, no pants or underwear from the waist down. Um, oh, there's some methodology where you don't, um, you wait for the child to say that they have to go to the bathroom, and so you do nothing until the child is requesting the bathroom. So then Did- that's not putting any um, sort of structure schedule on the child. It's all waiting for an internal organization from the child to say I have to go to the bathroom. And there was some stuff that we saw and read and heard about that was um, shaming. Shaming, for sure. If a child has an accident, you don't look at them, you don't make eye contact, they have to clean up the urine, right? Mm -hmm. Don't say anything during that. You're not nice to them at all if they have an accident, right? So we knew in our hearts kind of what didn't work Mm -hmm. and more of a developmental relational approach which is kind of how we interact with the world ourselves as Mm -hmm. grown-ups and as our ot practice looks Mm -hmm. and so so, then going from there yes from your lens already now what's the next step which then 
created the potty protocol. Led just to a, just or, a lot of investigation. I would yeah. say like probably six months feels about the right time of like us really analyzing the task of all the kids in our caseload that either had successfully um, taken on potty, uh, toilet learning, potty training, and um, had success. So really analyzing what they were doing and having conversations with mom and dad about what that process looked like. And then the kids who um, were not there really watching um, when they approached the bathroom, what was happening, mm-hmm. um, and reading lots of books. Tish's journal queen, she sent me many, many journal articles from all over um, different published spaces. Yeah, that's one thing that I did was just research what was going on around the world because it's something that everybody encounters, and mm-hmm. I just wanted to do, know how other countries um, and, and kind of what the history of potty training was. Wow. So then we made kind of a task analysis of the different... Um, skill areas inside of an individual profile where we think um, a child should have some emerging skills in these areas. So those were um, kind of overall the sensory profile, Mm -hmm. Um, having an idea of is this child under-responsive or Um, over-responsive inside their own kind of neurology. Um, We looked at motor planning, looked at postural organization, we looked at um, communication, um, comprehension, we also problems? looked at something called topography, which is, could a child find their way to the bathroom? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if you're going to go to the bathroom and you know you have to go, what are you going to do about it if you can't find your way there? So that was one skill that we really looked at is, um, yeah, can, can you find your way from here to there? Mm-hmm. Wow. Auditory processing, mm-hmm. because of all of the different auditory sounds that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, those are pro- that's probably the task analysis. And then from there... After we made the task analysis, we then created activities, which was maybe my favorite part of the process, um, activities linked to, okay, so if we're saying that these are the skills that a child needs, has to have emerging skills around to have success in this area, then what activities do we then use to tease out where this child is? Knowing that our end game is toilet learning, but we just needed activities to understand this process. So then um, we did probably spent another three to six months trying to taper like what are the activities we're going to be using and um, Tish and I had probably about six conversations about how to fully understand a surprise with sensation so we were bringing in uh, eggs cracking with yolk like all right is this okay for a child to be able to play with yolk or not what are the rules like we were saying all kinds of different things of how can we have um, a child experience sensation as a surprise because we're trying to understand the context of what's happening in our body, but we're not doing any of the assessment in the bathroom. So Mm -hmm. what does that look like inside of our occupational therapy practice? So that was a really fun process. Mm -hmm. And we do now have a readiness checklist linked with activities that we're using to assess where are the skills? Are they emerging? Are they already there or are they not there? And inside of that whole process, how many do we think a child needs to be able to take on the skill? I love that. I think that is wonderful, particularly in our, I've seen within LEAP, obviously we've gone through waves where it felt like every child was potty training for at least listening on the walkies of being like, it just felt like, Four to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> Everything was, was like potty, 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 potty. When we had six kids on the protocol. No. Yeah, I hope that was, you know, 
know, a tougher month. Yeah, yeah. but I think that we walked through the rooms and mm-hmm. said, who's ready kind yeah. of thing. And, and um, because there, there are definite signs that mm-hmm. a child can be ready. So we just kind of made it our mission to kind of help kids who could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's an important piece of the puzzle, too, for parents to hear is like, what do you do when you get the news that the child is not ready? Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been something, I think Tish and I are both, um, we want to, um, have a, uh, maybe this is more me than Tish too. I want to say, yes, let's try it and let's go tackle this adventure. Um, but this is a skill that is so, so, so important that the child feels success right away. Like we don't want to walk into a space where the child isn't ready and then um, they're going to be having repeated failure, not success over and over and over because that is the place that unintentionally shame can pop in Mm -hmm. because then you're going and doing this routine over and over and over and it's surprising and confusing um, that some things just aren't clicking at the right spot. So Mm -hmm. sometimes kids aren't ready and I think that's just uh, important to really try to find that sweet spot of time where um, the skills are emerging or there. And so when kids haven't been ready, um, another deep dive that Tish and I have done has been looking at more of a, um, sensory strategies to build these skill areas that we don't think are quite there yet. Mm -hmm. So, um, one child on the protocol, their sensory under responsiveness seemed like it was going, it needed a little bit more of a kickstart for there to be just a little bit more understanding of what was happening um, inside of the tactile world. And so we encouraged both at school and at home. So again, being a bridge of generalizing sensory strategies mm-hmm. for mom and dad and then the classroom team to be doing more of. So we were encouraging and gave a list of these are the sensory strategies that we would encourage every day for at least you know five minutes, two minutes on the hour, um, engage in more shaving cream and tactile experiences, um, bring in the lycra tunnel and have more uh, proprioceptive activities. So when we're saying that the child is not ready, there are ideas in our head too of like, but this is the reason why, how can we build that um, skill area so those skills start to be popping up more. And there's also the other side of the coin where we're telling parents that we think their child is ready and their parents like I don't think they're ready (laughs) we're like no but they really they do appear ready Mm -hmm. so we've had that too and -hmm. I think that oftentimes families think that their child may not be ready because of some of the things we talked about before one because they can't communicate that they need to go uh, or two that they don't appear as if they're interested right they don't have any tells Mm -hmm. they're not indicating that they need to go and neither of those things are required Mm -hmm. to be a part of the protocol so um Mm-hmm. Right, and we've but. had great success with kids who they eventually because we pay attention to kind of how their body is responding, what they're doing when they have to go. Mm-hmm. There's always something that you can see when you pay mm-hmm. attention um, to kids that are in the toilet learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's certainly not I have to go to the bathroom. Right, um, right, yeah. But it's something that we really uh, are thankful for from parents of sharing like we're not ready. Because it is a big ask on parents' side, mm-hmm. too. Like, there is a big buy-in that we are um, hopeful that parents are taking on as well. And both Tish and I are parents, and we've both walked through potty training and understand that it can be messy. It can be long. Like, when I was potty training my son, it probably took about 
two months overall where we were doing just a lot of accents, a lot of laundry, um, a lot of explaining to uh, grandma and nana that he really can't have diapers on right now. We are just wearing underwear. Like it is a lot of different things that mm -hmm. um, the parents are doing with us too, mm -hmm. which is a big process. So if parents are feeling like let's wait till Christmas break or holiday break or that is important for us to hear too. Mm -hmm. Cause it's a big ask. Are there any um, books or ch even children's books about potties that you, or adults books about <laughs> toilet learning, either books? You know, there have been a lot of recommendations like. for books and I've bought them all. <laughs> but I really don't like them. Okay. I don't think any of the kids that we have worked with have used books. No. Um, mm -hmm. So I, we, I know that they're out there. But. Yeah. We use um, songs quite a bit. Like that's something that we've been using time to go to the potty. And just like different rhythmical kind of moments. Daniel mm -hmm. Tiger has a little potty song that, um, that I think is cute and creates some... Uh, connecting the dots of watching Daniel go to the bathroom and use the toilet. But the books, yeah, we haven't recommended. You know, I definitely sing while I'm in the potty with the kids. And I guess it's just to kind of pass the time as well. Mm -hmm. You want to entertain, you know, to some degree, because it's oftentimes you're just sitting there waiting for some time. Um, yeah. Yeah, singing has been a big part. <laughs> <laughs> potty <know>. songs. <laughs> yeah. That just might be how we exist in the world. <laughs> I don't know if that's a strategy that everyone should take on, but... Um. And, but there are definitely, you find two kids that just require privacy. Mm -hmm. right? And you'll find that a child will sit and not go, sit and not go for days. And then as soon as you kind of just walk onto the other side of the stall, you... Stage fright, classic stage fright. Right. So we've had those as well, right? And so I think it it is a little bit of trying this, trying that, because you just never know what's getting in the way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to um, cheer and celebrate the successes of the child as the child needs. So like having a big hip hip hooray after going potty might be too much in that moment. Like really recognizing like you might have to, when you start seeing the successes on the toilet, really be reading the cues, not only um, beforehand of when, when should the child be going and supporting that, but also like after the successes start happening, mm -hmm. of maybe the child just needs it, oh, it's happening, pee-pee's going in the toilet, you did it. Or some kids need a giant celebration, but you wanna be um, really making it the child's success, not your success, and mm -hmm. so, what does that look like for each child also can be different, but this is something that we're supporting the child to be taking on and the child to be celebrating. Absolutely. Yeah, I, do, I definitely uh, know that we often tell parents um, that it is the child's success and um, we discourage, I don't know if that's the right word or not, but uh, I'm proud of you because mm -hmm. it, it more is a reflection of you. So we want to just celebrate their success because it is their learning that's mm -hmm. happening. And so uh, look at, you did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this whole process, what we're trying to do kind of overall is having the child understand their internal signals mm -hmm. of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so from the emotion of completion to like the understanding internally of 
oh, this is the feeling that I have of um, holding in my urine. Oh, this is the feeling that I have of before I have to go to the bathroom, this, this is what I need to do. Like the whole process, what we're trying to do is support internal understanding of a really like mysterious process. There's not a lot that you're seeing until the end result. So it's, it's really supporting the child within understanding. Absolutely. From beginning to even the very end. And it does, it, it can take a while. That's the other thing I mm-hmm. think that we need to say is it's not just something that's going to happen in a week or in a day mm-hmm. or in an hour. It's, it, it's over time. There's um, failure along the way for many kids, and it just requires consistency. And um, eventually something happens. It's magical. Mm-hmm. One day they couldn't, and the next day they can. Um, but there are accidents along the way as well. So even when we consider them to be successful, um, I think that parents still need to expect that it doesn't mean that their kid isn't going to have an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just I part think, of the learning process. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to hold on to, um, we're thinking about kind of three different um, skills we're taking on. So we're taking on bladder learning, taking on bowel under learning and understanding and then also night training is a whole different ball game too so like often toilet learning encompasses all those things but each of those three are a different process mm-hmm. um, and so we're supporting um, trying to encourage at least bowel and bladder at the same time but we're quickly telling parents right off the bat nighttime comes later Right now, what we're focusing on, on is the conscious understanding of this process. Um, so that's, that's another thing to help uh, parents understand. And what, something that we had to kind of understand mm-hmm. is what are the differences between bowel and bladder inside of this process. And I think also sometimes um, something that we work with a lot that we haven't touched on would also be the space of control that kids um, really have inside of this process too. Mm -hmm. And um, so we've kind of talked more about the biological elements of toilet learning, but there are also a lot of emotional elements to um, understanding, you know, this is something that really only the child is in charge of. And so sometimes there can be a lot of control established um, around this process. We see it sometimes more in our older kids with um, bowel understanding. And um, that can often bleed into at times constipation and some medical concerns that we also are quick to say like, here's our scope. And there are definitely times when um, the medical team should come in and make sure that everything is checked on on that end because um, that's a part of, that can be a part of stopping the process as well too sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another element that we're thinking about too, feel free to plug this in wherever, but um, is also Diet can have a big part into the process, especially around um, bowel training. And, um, you know, sometimes when we have kids who are pickier eaters, maybe their diet consists more of milk and cheese. And 
for this child, they're all three meals, they're really eating string cheese and milk, well that is going to um, change sometimes the consistency of a bowel movement and also the times that it's happening. And so um, there's a lot of elements that we're taking into consideration too, not just looking at, again, the biological list that we kind of teased out, but also like there are other kind of um, cultural elements of that child of that we're asking parents, okay, what is this child's diet? So is it um, a nutritious diet that we can think of um, more of a schedule or is their diet a little bit more constricted and that's going to have an effect inside bowel movements mm-hmm. if we're getting really into the nitty-gritty <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely that makes sense so sometimes you know we might be thinking through maybe some of the readiness changes also needs to have some links into um some picky eating and more opportunity and i think that the older guys just because there are so many other complicating factors, right? It becomes the emotional part, right? It mm-hmm. becomes the dietary part, it becomes the history part, mm-hmm. and, the, and the control part. I mean, that's yeah. all part of it. Because when we're working with more six, seven-year-olds who have, um, we're, we're really trying to support the control areas, um, there probably have been at least three or four times where this has been attempted, and then not worked and what does that mean for the child so there are a lot of um, elements that we're trying to take into effect of so so far this hasn't been successful what does that mean for this child to start again that Mm -hmm. might be a really big ask and a scary ask Mm -hmm. yeah and I think sometimes it's out of our domain right Mm -hmm. because there's just so much emotional stuff and like you were mentioning before the medical part of it too that we just don't know about so there's definitely something that's happened in the past that stopped them from being successful Mm-hmm. And there's oftentimes shame around that and resistance. And mm-hmm. and uh, the couple that I know about it, the couple kids that I'm thinking of, there just was a reluctance to even kind of discuss it because mm-hmm. um, it's just as hard for them to manage. And they know it's hard and it's it affects the family as well. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and they know, and I think they carry that with them. Right. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... It's a very multifaceted skill that bleeds into every domain. Yeah. And it's been important for us because of the advantage that we have of working on a team of OTs, SLPs, um, social workers, PTs, all in one building. We're quickly tapping into every single professional of like, okay, so we're taking this child down this road. Uh, from your lens, how, what can you add to the equation? What are we missing? How can we support this process? What elements would you add to this protocol um, mm-hmm. inside of those different domains? Because it really does affect so everything, every area. Mm-hmm. Wow. Who knew? We knew. <laughs> <laughs> but we also know when uh, our our um, scope is has a uh, ceiling too. Right. Yeah, but we've had great success, I think. So mm-hmm. we've learned so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've loved doing it. There's mm-hmm. just there's just something I think about because it's such an important milestone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is very interesting to see all of the different kinds of little people mm-hmm. who we've helped mm-hmm. um, kind of get through that process. I love that. Yeah. Leap Forward is a developmental pediatric clinic and therapeutic school program preschool through eighth grade. 
operating in Chicago with experts in occupational therapy, speech and language pathology, physical therapy, social work, developmental therapy, behavioral therapy, and early intervention. To speak with the professionals you heard today or talk to someone at LEAP about your child, you can find us at leapforward.com. That's L-E-E-P forward.com.